Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson! Welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who loves pouring over projections even more than his morning coffee. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me is not Brian Com. He's taking a break, but that's okay because we've got a ringer in here for you for the first time ever on Keeping Carlson, which I'm surprised about because we've talked about him and to him like very often. It's the managing editor at Dauber Hockey, the writer of countless articles and daily ramblings at that site, also the managing editor of the world-famous Dauber hockey fantasy guide which recently released its 17th edition it's ian gooding welcome to the show ian hey thanks elon uh hi everyone yeah i'm super stoked to have you on the show here we've got a lot to get to because i've been looking over this guide and you've graciously agreed to come on the show so we can talk through all the various projections the other goodies in this guide and yeah obviously for the most part I agree with what <laughs> Dauber put and like what the different projections are, but that wouldn't be any fun, right? To just like talk about the things we agree on. So I, I picked out some players that I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I thought maybe uh, the projections were a little, you know, higher than I would have gone or lower than I would have gone. So that's going to be the the plan for today's show. I'm super stoked about it. But I guess before we get into like some specific players, for those who like don't know, do you want to give a quick overview of Dauber Hockey's guide and like all the goodies people can find within? Sure. Uh, the Dauber Hockey Fantasy Guide, I imagine uh, many of your listeners will already be familiar with it, but if not, um, it covers everything you need to know about fantasy hockey for the coming year. I was going to say everything, but I mean, it has, um, but but just to put it this way, there's a lot of information in here. So oh, yeah. um, just to give you a quick overview of the table of contents here, um, there's a breakdown of the schedule and what you need to know. I think that's a very, I know you emphasize that in your podcast about paying attention to that every given week. Um, sleeper picks, um, you have the, you know, if you're looking for the latest rookies, uh, you'll find those in there. Uh, draft review. Um, players to um, potentially who could drop in value, goalies, which is an article I've written, goalies to to watch, not necessarily the top goalies, but the ones that you you know might might change in value. You might might have some interest in. Uh, there's stuff on advanced stats for those of you into uh, into that. You also have your projections by team. That's um, that's an important one. So every single player, that's a lot of where the meat is of this fantasy guide is is the projections and it goes right down to the fourth line, um, you know, seventh defenseman, uh, two or three goalies. Um, there's no, literally no stone left unturned when it comes to, uh, to this and the write-ups on every team, not just the projections, but write-ups observations. Um, if you're in the multi-category leagues, uh, we've got, um, we've written about hits, uh, players to watch for, for, for that category contract year, um, goaltending write-ups on the goaltending situation. Uh, there's a whole lot more. There's um, I probably haven't covered it all in there, but it's uh, you know if you're looking for um, value in terms of the amount of information that you can get, um, this is uh, the Dauber Hockey Fantasy Guide is second to none. 
Yeah, definitely. It's so fun to just like when it first comes out. And I love being able to read through all the articles, like you say, lists of different like players that maybe are sleepers and like, you know, players that maybe are gonna be overvalued, all that. And then yeah, the, the every single team, I love just being able to look and it's like not only projections for all the players, but Dauber's predicted like the line combos uh, of, you know, what it'll be like, who's gonna be on the top power play and the second power play. So it's just so fun to sort of pour through this. And I guess that's what we could do as an abridged version here on this show, pouring over it just a little bit. Uh, and then for those of you who want to get it, obviously the guide, the great thing also is that the the way you guys update it all throughout the preseason, so you can buy it once and then continue to download it. Uh, if people want to check it out, just go to DauberHockey.com. Kim Carlson's also very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. So yeah, we definitely encourage people to check it out. For those of you who though haven't bought it yet, uh, we actually have a giveaway uh, we're going to be able to uh, do on this show. So I guess uh, one job for us, Ian, as we go through the guide and go through some of these projections is we'll have to come up with a hashtag. Maybe at the end of the show, we'll announce what people need to tweet at us in order to enter our giveaway. We have five guides also to give away. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking, yeah, let's just get into some of these projections then. Like I said, there's a lot of players that I agree with. Uh, you know, like he's got Nick Suzuki for around 71 points. Yeah. Okay, I, don't, I just happen to have the Habs page up right now. So I was like, yeah, I don't really have much to ask you about that. Seems to make sense based on what's been going on in his career. But there's a few players that I'm a little bit interested in getting a deeper dive into how these numbers came. By the way, so it's Dauber himself that came up with these projections. Am I right? Like he, he came up with all of them. But you're like the managing editor. So did you? what part did you play in coming up with all these projections? Yeah, Dauber, Dauber does the projection. So I can't take the heat for, uh, for any of those. <laughs> I only get to come on and critique them. Um, but the sections that I did, I mentioned that I wrote the goalies to watch article, which is um, 12 goalies that you um, that may change in value, may want to pay attention to. I'm accounting for both single season leagues and uh, keeper leagues down, down the road. So a little bit for everyone in there. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of write-ups, I did part of the write-ups by team. Uh, the ones that I covered myself were the injury alerts, uh, which cover which players might have had off-season surgeries, maybe had their seasons cut short last season by injury and what their status is like coming up, um, for the, for the season. Um, even if they're going to be healthy for training camp is just, um, just, in case people are wondering, contract year, which are people on the uh, players on the final year of their contract, uh, who's going to uh, is you know is it is it going to affect their performance much? Um, what has their track record been like in previous years? I've tried to dig that up whenever I I can. Although it's kind of difficult for younger players to do that um, as well. I did the hits as well, which players seem to be, if you're looking for hits, maybe at your end of the week and you're trying to fill your hits category and your multi-category league, um, what are some options are in terms of uh, um, players or just guys that you can stat, put in your deeper leagues and just kind of, and they can tally up the hits and don't have to really think about it. Um, and the goaltending as well. So which players, um, you know, what's What's a team's goaltending situation like? I mean, some of the ones like uh, Tampa Bay and Winnipeg and Vancouver, they seem pretty straightforward. You know who the starters are for those teams. Uh, but there's going to be some other ones in there. Um, maybe the teams like uh, um, just off the top of my head, maybe a team like uh, L.A., um, or um, Colorado's might be a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit unsure of, but, you know, we try to break it down there and um, which goalie appears to be the starter and uh, what's the likelihood as well that that goalie will end up getting the majority of the starts. Yeah, I find that helpful. It's not like a guarantee, but yeah, there's always a 
like message on each team of like which goalie he's like Dauber's confidence in that the goalie will be the starter uh on Arizona here Vey Melka 100% and then yeah like you said there's a lot of teams where Brian and I just did our Schmore goalies board episode last week where we went through all of the goalies and tried to tier them for their fantasy values and yeah for some teams we were just like had to throw our hands up in the air and just say like I have no idea <laughs> it could be it could be one guy or the other I guess with Colorado we were kind of leaning towards Georgiev being the starter and Francois being the backup but again it's like so I see here Dauber has 65% in Georgiev. So I think that sounds about right. That probably matches my confidence. Uh, but okay. You mentioned the contract year and how you, how you wrote a bit about that. I'm, I'm curious to get your take. Like, Are you of the belief or have the numbers shown that players on contract years tend to have better results? I know that's like the common wisdom that players, I guess, try harder because they're playing for their next contract. Has that generally played out to be the case? Yeah, that's what Dauber wanted to emphasize in that piece. I mean, for... You can get into another um, another couple of different things like in salary cap leagues. What's that? What could that next contract look like? Um, that's now now a big one. Um, go, if if somebody's on an entry level deal, they're on a really team friendly contract, but they're playing really well. Um, then in salary cap leagues, now you're going to have to make room for that player. Is it is it worth it? Uh, you could look at it from that angle, but the dauber um, kind of going way back. The contract year theory is not you know, has been around for a long time. And what he really wanted to emphasize in that part for each team is which, you know, is that going to affect, are they going to bump up their level of play based on the fact that they're in a contract year and they're, you know, they're entering free agency, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, the best comparison I'll use, not necessarily a hockey one, but Aaron Judge in uh, playing for the Yankees, you know, where he's uh, set to become a free agent and he's, you know, hitting a monster number of home runs this year, you know, that that's kind of a perfect example of, of that contract here and what it means. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw that uh, Johnny Gaudreau really upped his game last season, then he got himself a huge contract. Yeah, some interesting big names coming up for UFA in 2023. I know it's a little bit early to be talking about that too much, but maybe if that's something you care about in your draft, trying to get these guys who have a little extra to play for. Uh, Patrick Kane has obviously been in the news. Like, is he going to stick mm-hmm. around? Or are they going to trade him? But yeah, he's going to be a UFA. Same with Taves, obviously less value there. I'm just looking down the list here. Tarasenko, uh, Pasternak, McK- wait, McKinnon is... Oh, well, Colorado's going to yeah. something out with McKinnon. I didn't even realize he was going to be. Yeah, Timo mm-hmm. Meyer. Yeah, so some really big names that are going to be going high in fantasy drafts could potentially be on different teams next year unless their teams can lock them. I got to imagine yeah. some of these guys are going to get long-term contracts for sure. Uh, but okay, I guess we've done enough of the preamble. I'm ready to get into some of these projections I came up with. So I'm going to start in Arizona, okay? Uh, Clayton Keller had a huge breakout last season. We all recall he had a bit of a slow start, but then like a torrid finish to end the year over a point per game for a good stretch before he got injured. He ended the season, though, with a 77-point pace, which was like a breakout for him, right? Like that was the best he'd done since his rookie year. Dauber is very high on Keller. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start with players that Dauber is higher on than maybe I... Well, I don't want to say that, that I disagree with, but higher on than maybe I expected him to be. So I want to get like some reasoning behind. Yeah, Dauber's got Keller just keeping it going and even having a, a bigger year. He's got him now being point per game for the whole season. He hasn't projected at 77 points in 77 games. By the way, it's interesting how Dauber projects games played. That'd be something interesting to talk about as well. Like for some players, it seems like Dauber's expecting like a lot of injuries, which I guess makes sense because that happens throughout the years. But I always like to just think of it in terms of the, the point pace because who knows if he's going to play or not. I just want to know how the guy will do while he's in my lineup. Yeah, are you ready to draft Clayton Keller as a point per game guy? like Dauber hasn't projected? Um, I might put him a smidgen under. Uh, I don't think I would um, go too far under. I think 
we've known Keller has a talent. He's an extremely talented player. Um, we've just been kind of wait, waiting for him to sort of break out, I guess. And he seemed to do that last year and on an Arizona team. Uh, the one downside, of course, is that Arizona does not have a lot of players that they can put put around him. I mean, there's what, Nick Schmaltz, um, Barrett Hayton ever comes around. I shouldn't say ever comes around. He's a, still a very young player. But um, but it's not like there's stacks of offensive talent around him either. Mind you, um, Arizona did have some games where they were really um, – there, there were a lot of dry spells. There, were also, there was also that one stretch, I think, where I think Schmaltz had like the seven-point game or something ridiculous. And, you know, and they, they were suddenly scoring goals like crazy, and you barely even recognize them. Um, as for the injuries, I mean, that's uh, – that's you can't project every player to reach every two, 82 games because, I mean, the majority of them don't. There's – you know, there, there's minor nagging injuries that can occur. There could be a major injury. You can't necessarily, and you don't know when any of them is going to, are, are going to happen. And last season too, on, on top of all of this, you had, you had the COVID issue, the COVID protocol, which was oh, man. cutting into games played even further. So you, I think last season in particular, you needed to have a, a deep bench. Um, you know, I think having a, I, I give that as one main reason I was able to win a championship in one of my leagues is just the fact that I had had a deep bench and I could easily rotate guys. And if uh, if someone get, got pulled onto on the COVID protocol, I don't know what this season is going to be like. Maybe we have to account for that again. I know they're not going to necessarily um, track it the same way, um, but that's something you may have to keep an eye on anyway. Yeah, that was so brutal last year, especially when games were getting postponed. It seems like that shouldn't be as much of a case this year, because like you said, they're not going to be testing everyone before every game. Hopefully, obviously, everyone is healthy. But yeah, as far as the Coyotes go, yeah, Dobbers got Keller at a point per game, Schmaltz a little bit lower than the next highest scoring forward, according to Dobbers projections. You have to go all the way down to looks like Lawson Kraus down as like you know barely above a half point per game player so yeah that's why i'm personally like you know i like clayton keller i like what he did last year he was amazing and like uh, probably though i wouldn't draft him that high just because i'd be worried he did it last year but i just get nervous about someone who doesn't have like such great players to play with and like we're like basically banking on like nick schmaltz to be his trigger man and like nick schmaltz obviously also had this great year like you said but maybe buoyed by a couple really amazing games that if you just take away a couple games and all of a sudden he's like his you know his point pace is a lot lower um, okay, how about next up? Let's go to Seattle, another team that struggled last year. And there was a guy there that a lot of people were super high on going to the season, and that was Jared McCann. Like he had been coming off a 61 point pace season with the Penguins in 2020 21. And then he went to Seattle and it kind of looked like, oh, McCann now could be like a top line, top power play guy. He should even get, you know, more ice time than he was getting on Pittsburgh. So maybe that 61 point pace is like a floor. And who knows what he can do now as a top guy on the team? I think people were thinking about like a Marcheso type situation where all of a sudden he could really flourish. Uh, he ended up kind of disappointing us. You know, he wasn't terrible, but he only had 50 points in 74 games with Seattle last year. So that's a 55-point pace. But Dauber is like in this projection, like right back to where like my head was at going into last season of like that upside McCann, because he's predicting 24 goals and 60 points in 74 games. So that would be a 66 point pace if he played all 82 games. Do you have any sense of why the expected uptick in this projection? Like, is it what I'm saying that he's just wanting to throw away some of the messiness of the first Seattle season and just go back to that high expectation that McCann could potentially hit based on what he was doing in Pittsburgh? 
I think the reason for the uptick for McCann um, would be the fact that Seattle seems to have upgraded a bit in terms of its overall scoring. It's not so much McCann himself. Um, it was the, uh, remember when he, when he was in Pittsburgh, he had sort of that mini breakout. Uh, he had, he had some good talent around him, but last year in Seattle, there, there wasn't much. Um, but he's going to have this season, he's going to have, they're, they're going to have Matty Beniers for a whole year. Uh, they just picked up Oliver Bjorkstrand, who Dauber himself is, is very high on. Um, and also another thing that's mentioned here in the fancy guide is that Yanni Gord will also begin the season healthy. Okay, so Yanni Gord might be more of a, a middle six option. Um, we don't know if Shane Wright's going to make the team or not, but if he does, um, then that's that's a, potentially another option as well. So it's going to push um, nothing. It could give me more potential, stronger line mates for, for McCann. But it could also mean um, more competition for him as well. So that's he's looking at in terms of improved scoring on on the Seattle Kraken. Oh, yeah, I guess that definitely makes sense, right? Like last season, I'm seeing that McCann's most common centerman was Marcus Johansson, or maybe McCann was playing center and Johansson was on the wing, but they played a lot of time together last year. He also was playing with like uh, Carson Kuhlman at times. You said like there was a little little bit with Yanni Gourd. He played a lot with Jordan Everly. So yeah, you could definitely see an uptick there if Bjorkstrand is back to what we thought he could once be. And actually, I'd like to talk about his projection too in just a sec. Uh, Yeah, Matty Veneers, if he has a better centerman there. Yeah, could be a reason for... for higher results and yeah i mean i like it definitely you'll be able to get mccann probably cheaper than you were able to in drafts last year so maybe a potentially good sleeper pick i definitely would say you don't need to necessarily grab mccann as like a 66 point pace guy in your drafts you know even if you do believe he's going to get that pace maybe i would rather pick at that point someone who's you know done it before someone you can rely on and then maybe mccann will still be around for you for your next pick and you could get him at some mm-hmm. value but yeah you brought up bjorkstrand so let me just uh bring him up in general i seems like Dauber's pretty high on a lot of these players going to new teams. Like, uh, I'm generally kind of wimpy with these situations. Like, I worry that maybe in a new situation, a player will take time to adjust or maybe won't go. You know, you always like to imagine, like, oh, uh, Nazem Kadri going to a new team. Like, who knows how exciting he'll be now that he gets new linemates. But, you know, then I start to worry, like, oh, maybe his linemates aren't actually as good as in their old situation. But, like, as far as Bjorkstrand goes, he kind of disappointed last year. A 58-point pace. He's never broken a 64-point pace in his career. But, yeah, Dauber's got him having a career year in pace at 68. So is this just a situation where, again, like we're expecting him to finally get like that primo deployment, top line, like top power play, really good line mates that he wasn't able to hold on to over in Columbus? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not like Columbus was stacked with offensive options either. And Bjorkstrand could rise to the top. But for some reason, um, he didn't there. I'm maybe not quite as high on Bjorkstrand as as Dauber is. Um, he's still a very serviceable player. I don't think you should be picking him before pick 100 in your uh, drafts. I, I think if it's before then, I think I, I think you're reaching for him. But in terms of after pick 100, it could be, turn out to be a very good value pick. Um, you know, I, I suppose uh, Beniers. I, I, I like Beniers. I think he's got a lot of upside. Um, so Bjorkstrand, I think, could have potentially could push the upper limits of his uh um of his projections like dauber has him as as upside is 83 points so upside is i'll just explain in, in pricking up the fantasy guide here um doesn't refer to he will reach that one day but it's sort of more of 
uh, one day if everything goes right. I, I might be, I'm just paraphrasing here. Um, that may not be exactly how Dauber has it, but that's sort of my understanding of what the long-term upside is for a player. So, um, but yeah, he's very, very high on Bjorkstrand. Um, again, he'll get the, he'll get the minutes in Seattle. I, I don't think there's any question about that, given what, what other options that there are. He should be a top six player for sure there. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not quite there on him exploding, I guess. So I, I think I'd have to agree with you as far as your, uh, your take on Bjorkstrand. Yeah, just a little bit of trepidation. We definitely have seen Bjorkstrand go on runs in, in Columbus a couple seasons ago. I remember like he sort of had a slow start to the year, kind of like a Clayton Keller from last season, right? Like Bjorkstrand did that. He was the first one to pull a Clayton Keller. And he, I remember, like exploded and was just getting points every single game for a long stretch in Columbus. And people were really excited for him for the, the following season. And he was like decent, but like fell off a little. Then, yeah, last year, another bit of a fall off. But, yeah, new situation. Dauber's got, I see in the line projections here, Bjorkstrand on a top line with Beneers and Burakovsky. And then Schwartz, uh, Gourd, and McCann on on the second line. So yeah, those are great line mates for McCann and Bjorkstrand. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, we'll learn a lot in preseason also once we get to see the power plays and stuff. Frozen tools is like super valuable because you guys have a way to see the live combinations like live in game. You can see and even in preseason games. So it's a really fun way to track how things are going. And also we have our own uh, Twitter account that we made out over at Keeping Carlson headquarters here uh, called Game Day Lines. So, uh, and then we have a website, gamedaylines.com. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be tweeting out as like beat writers are uh, sharing what the line combinations are looking like in practice. So if you use those two resources, you'll maybe be able to get a little hint of if Bjorkstrand and McCann can be as good as uh, these projections. But yeah, Seattle will definitely be an interesting team next year. A lot of changes, which should make them better. Yeah, bringing in right Beneers and Burakovsky can only help. Though, like I said, could potentially also bump some people you know, down the lineup, depending on how good those players are. Uh, okay, so let's go to another player that had had a breakout in the past, similar to uh, McCann or Bjorkstrand, but then has sort of slowed down over the last few seasons. I'm talking about Victor Arvidsson over in LA. So he, you know, had that amazing breakout in Nashville. He like looked like he could be a, like a 35, 40 goal scorer, taking a ton of shots. Brian and I loved him. I remember Brian really called him before his breakout as being someone who was having a really high points per 60, but just wasn't getting a lot of minutes. And then the following season that really bared out. And then he did get more minutes and he looked really good. Uh, then he had a couple down years in Nashville, ends up getting traded to LA. And then he was better in LA, right? He had... Uh, 20 goals and 48 points in 66 games. That's a 60-point pace if he had played the whole season. Again, all these players were looking at like having missed time, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, Dauber has Arvidsson going even higher. He has him as a 65-point pace. So I was curious to know why we should expect Arvidsson to go higher. At least that's what I thought originally. I, I started to look into it a bit myself, and I did realize that Arvidsson started the season not playing on that line that ended up materializing with Trevor Moore and Phil Deneau, and they really clicked in the second half, and I see that that's the line that Dauber's projecting to go into next season. So do you think that Arvidsson has this next gear to get back to those prime years in Nashville and do even better than he did in his first year in L.A.? Um, I think a lot depends on injuries with with Arvidsson. Um, He's had... um, despite some, I guess, some very good years in, in Nashville. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, there was that, uh, he, he did become sort of a, um, sort, sort of a very highly coveted player, um, you know, highly promoted player and Dauber. 
Um, I remember Steve Laidlaw, the old man, previous managing editor, was very, very high on um, on Arvidsson. Um, and there was good good reason for that. There was um, you know, he had the opportunity on Nashville to become a, a top six scorer. I think unfortunately he's been slowed by some injuries. Um, that was no um, that was also the case last season uh, where he was held to just sixty six games. Uh, so there were stretches where he was um, he was out out of the lineup for a bit. Uh, he did click on that line with Nino and Trevor Moore. It was a you know very good second line for LA. And one reason I think that key reason that they made the playoffs last year, maybe a little bit earlier than expected. Yeah, I'm you know I'm sort of I sort of like Bjorkstrand. I'm I'm a bit on the fence with with Arvidsson. I I think there's a chance he he could bounce back if he stays healthy on that line. Uh, he could have a very good productive year. Again, um, he's one of those after pick 100 players uh, that, I, that I would look at who could uh, turn out very very well for you as well. Um, one thing I'll just mention here is that there's a difference between point projection and point pace. So um, Arvidsson might be on a 65 point pace, but that assumes that he remains healthy for the entire season. Um, but we also Dauber also has him projected to play only 72 games, um, which is resulting in in 57 points. So it's probably better to take the actual projection as opposed to the pace. The pace is kind of more if he could stay healthy for the entire season. This this is what you could get, but um, you're going to have to, you know, if there's games you miss, obviously you're going to have to look for a replacement. Um, so yeah, I could, you know, I, I could see if everything goes right um, where Arvidsson could reach, potentially reach that pace again. Yeah. Okay. And I definitely agree with you. Like I don't personally expect Arvidsson to play all those games. I guess the way I kind of like strategically think about it is I'll draft my players, like thinking of like what they'll do for me while they're in my lineup. And like you said, then I'll find replacements obviously when they get injured. But I feel like, yeah, you don't want to take too many injury prone players in your draft because then you're really, you know, going to have to dive into free agency. You may even run out of IR plus spots. I know that a uh, big term that Dauber uses is band-aid boys. Do you think Arvidsson's in that category where if let's say you're putting a cap on yourself of like, I only want like max three band-aid boys on my team or four like is Arvids I feel like he's on the cusp he hasn't played a full season in a while but he's not like someone like like a Malkin to me where I'm like so convinced he's gonna miss 20 games yeah I'm surprised Dauber doesn't have him listed as a band-aid boy um he did play near full seasons in uh 16 17 and then again in 17 18 uh but then 18 19 and 19 20 he missed uh um he missed a good chunk of games uh last Last season or 2020-21, he looks like he was a 56-game season. He only missed six games, which isn't too bad. But last season, we were talking um, by my math, looks like he missed 16 games because of injury. So that's a substantial chunk of games that um, that he's missed. It's like more off recently, more often than not, um, he's missed at least 10 games in, in a season. So um, I'm not sure. It's, I can't. I think Dauber had reviewed his Band-Aid boys again um, and put out the article again. But um, usually on the Frozen Tool page, they're Band-Aid boy certified or Band-Aid boy trainee, and for whatever reason, Arvidsson isn't there. So um, if it's, I'm not sure if that was an oversight or if he didn't list him as a Band-Aid boy. I'd be curious as to his reasons. 
Yeah, so it looks like Arvidsson had back surgery at the end of last season. So I guess that's the kind of thing where on one hand you could be like, oh, good, he's like fixed now. You know, he had the best doctors and now he's going to come back 100%. Or you could be like, oh, oh, like, is he still the same player after going through the surgery? So again, that's something that we'll have to watch during training camp. Uh, also, I think it's funny because Arvidsson came to the Kings last year. And I think a lot of people just like pegged him in as like, oh, yeah, he's going to be on the top line with Kopitar for sure. Like started like thinking, wow, like and Kopitar will dish to Arvidsson. He's going to score so many goals. And like, now I'm hearing like the exact same thoughts about the the new like top line right wing expected to be in Kevin Fiala, right? And everyone's just assuming, well, of course, Fiala is going to be even better than he was in Minnesota because he's going to have Kopitar dishing to him. I just wonder, like, and like, I agree, like, if I were to bet on it, I'd expect that Fiala is going to be on the top line. But I wonder if should we have taken some lessons from last year and not just like assuming, you know, with 100% confidence that it's going to be Fiala and Kopitar like linked together on the top line, I guess, with Adrian Kempe and then Arvidsson will be on the second line. Like, is that, should we leave some room for possibility that maybe Fiala ends up like playing with to know or like Kaliev plays with Kovatar. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it's one of those things where every year when I'm like super confident about a line combination with a new player on the team, I feel like 50% of the time it ends up not going the way I expected it to be. Oh, absolutely. You should never leave anything to 100% certainty. It's the easy link to make is, is, is the star center and, and, and the winger being picked up and playing. The thing I like about Fiala, though, is that he never really had those top-line minutes in Minnesota, and he was still productive. Um, <clears throat> him and Kirill, Kirill Kaprizov both played left wing, so they were almost always on separate lines except for the power play. So um, even if Fiala does play on the second line, even if Kopitar isn't his center, uh, he could still have a very productive year. So... Um, you know, and Arvidsson even in while on that line, um, was productive anyway. So there is no, doesn't necessarily mean that, um, because you're on that top line, you, you can't be productive. That can be a bit of a fallacy to, to think. So, um, you know, for, for somebody like Fiala, he could, um, you know, you don't know what the coach is going to do, whether they're going to, you know, try to stack all the scoring on one line, or they're going to try to spread it out. Um, even coaches will try different things. If, if the line combinations aren't gelling, um, or if he's just only getting one scoring on one line, the reward for that's all the scoring being on one line is sometimes to spread it out in an effort to get some of the other lines going. And so the teams aren't sort of stacking up against the the top lines if the other lines aren't productive. So you really don't know what um, what's going to happen here. Um, you can draft him on the basis that Fial, on the basis that he, he will line up with Kopitar and have a very good year. Um, but you, you're absolutely right. You cannot say that for sure. Yeah, I guess it's just because we just saw Arvidsson sort of end up, he started the season with Kopitar and then things changed around. But I guess like you're saying, either way, last year Fiala put up an above point per game pace. He had 85 points and he played the whole season in 82 games. And that was like, yeah, not necessarily always being on the top power play, averaging only around 17 and a half minutes per game. I think things changed a lot between the first half of the season and the second half of the season in terms of the deployment. Like when Boldy came, that made a difference. Uh, But yeah, so even if he's not, it's kind of like you just get salivate about like what is the upside if he gets to play you know more minutes with Kopitar but yeah even if he doesn't he should still be like pretty decent based on what we've seen so far uh you would hope anyways he's someone that Dover's super high on and I, and I you know I can't disagree I wasn't planning on bringing up Fiala I was like don't you think Dover's a little too high there but uh yeah okay let's go now to uh the Canucks uh where I wanted to bring up Connor Garland and again I, I feel like I'm coming off as like this like negative guy or being like what does Dover think but you know these are you know uh, so many guys I can bring up like on the Canucks you know he's got uh 
Elias Pettersson as someone who's going to have a, a solid season. Uh, let me bring that up here. 74 points in 78 games. I'm all for that. He's got JT Miller continuing his, you know, breakout uh, 93 points in 80 games. Uh, he's got Brock Besser, maybe not, you know, reaching those heights. So, yeah. So there's a lot about the Vancouver projections where I look and I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I would have expected. But, yeah. The one guy that jumps out a little bit to me is Connor Garland. And the reason is, you know, kind of similar to Arvidsson and McCann. Like, I guess they're probably in the same level of the draft. Maybe afterwards I could ask you to like choose which of those three you would take. Uh, but so Garland had that big breakout in Arizona in 2020-21, 39 points in 49 games. So smallish sample size, but he had a 65-point pace during that year. Last year in Vancouver, a lot of people thought maybe he can like get a power play one spot or like be assured, you know, really good line mates in the top six. But he didn't end up securing that top power play and he fell to a 55-point pace, which, you know, for a lot of fantasy leagues saw him fall to free agency midway through the season seems like with this projection that I'm seeing that Dauber isn't too concerned about that happening again because Garland, he has him at 63 points in 76 games. So almost a full season played. And if he did play all 82 games, that would be a 68-point pace, which would definitely be a career year for Garland, even better than that breakout in Arizona. Uh, I see that Dauber's got him projected as a top liner with Miller and and Mikhaev. I guess that would, I, I guess sometimes you, you know, what is the top line? Like, you know, in Boston, Brian and I have been debating if Bergeron's not playing with Marshawn to start the year, is it still a top line? If it's with Zaka and DeBrusque, uh, but maybe if JT Miller is the center, then you just have to call that the top line no matter what. Uh, but yeah, what do you think about this uh, Connor Garland projection? Are you as high on him as Dauber is? Because it looks like, according according to Dauber, he's a guy that you like. You know, definitely want to draft in the middle rounds of your draft, but I'm a little concerned whenever I see someone that I recall seeing in free agency on my couple <laughs> division last year. Yeah, I think I'm also with you in, on Garland. Um, I think the, the one thing about Garland is um, in the fantasy guide, you'll see that there are projections for first power play and second power play. And the Canucks first unit power play is pretty solidified. It does not include Garland. It has it has Miller, it has Pedersen, it has Horvat, it has Besser, and it has Quinn Hughes. Connor Garland and not on the first unit power play. And you want to know how many uh, power play points Garland had last year? He had three, okay, three yeah. power play points. Um, I don't see that as a formula for reaching 63 points. I, I think he'll in, he'll exceed that total this year. Um, but the second unit power play does not feature. It's, it's pretty well stacked. It's going to have some good options. Like I think Garland's going to score a lot of even strength points. That's I think that that's going to happen. The Canucks have actually got a pretty solid top nine or potentially one that could be very, very good. When you factor in the signings of Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, um, you've got Pod Colson, who's going to be who's going to be a sophomore. He could um, easily take a step up in, in his game. He showed some flashes of brilliance, I think, in his rookie season. So, you know, and, and the Canucks could arrange there. There's talk that the Canucks could use all of Miller, Pedersen, and Horvat as centers. So Bo Horvat could be your third line center. Um, a player like Garland could easily be in the top six. Then he could, um, they could use him on a line with with Miller, and it could be a very effective duo. So in terms of even strength points, I, I like it for even strength points. Um, like the others that we talked about here, Garland is definitely a player I'm I'm waiting for after pick 100. Um, I don't think I'd go quite as high on Garland as 63 points. I might, you know, 50 points seems like a, a more reasonable safe assumption to me, but um, you know, but, but who knows? He, he wasn't seen to be a player 
he, he started off really well last season. Then Travis Green got fired. When Bruce Boudreau took over, there wasn't um, Garland's production really dipped. But then he had a real uh, strong point per game push over his last 20 games or so last season. So it's hard to say. I yeah, I that one I I think I'd agree with you, and I, I would go under that projection. Yeah, though it is interesting, right? Like you said, 20 points in his last 19 games when the new coach came in. And obviously, Boudreaux going to stay as the coach for next season. And it's almost like on one hand, you can be like, oh, no, he only had like three power play points all season. On the other hand, you can say those final 19 games where he had 20 points, 19 of those points were even strength. Imagine if like <laughs> he does get on the top power play, like what could even happen? So it's almost like there's a bit of a floor here if we think he could just maintain that even strength production and then who knows, maybe an untimely injury or something and all of a sudden he gets, you know, 15 power play points or 10 power play points. Now we're looking at someone who maybe could hit this projection. So yeah, it would be a bit of a swing, but there's obviously a reason. Again, this will probably be pretty line dependent. I'm going to want to see like who he's playing with of those three centers that you brought up. Uh, okay, how about, uh, let's go to Columbus. I guess we were talking about Bjorkstrand before so we could go back to his former team uh, a defenseman that I saw as being projected pretty high and I'm really curious to hear the reason for because you know Adam Bokefist was drafted with you know early in the first round a few years back and like you know obviously a high pedigree and then there were stretches where he was getting top power play when he was on Chicago and like Brian and I would talk about on the podcast like oh man should people be grabbing uh, Adam Bokefist out of free agency because you know he's on this top power play with Kane and Debrinket and Taves like back when you know Taves was good and like they had to bring it and like Chicago actually was an exciting team now it's almost like okay even if you have Seth Jones he's on the top power play you're like eh, I don't even know how exciting this power play is going to be uh but yeah we're in Columbus now and Adam Bokefist got traded for Seth Jones uh and now he's like first of all definitely behind Zach Wierenski like Wierenski's going to get all the top power play deployment unless he gets injured and then you look at Adam Bokefist who still hasn't been able to break out and a lot of it seems to be because he doesn't have the coach's favor right like he's only averaged 17 minutes in average time on ice last season which is super low for a defenseman that's like a third pairing guy uh, and he you know, like I said he didn't get a lot of power play time and so at the end of the day he had like a 22 points in 55 games it's a 35 point pace but I'm seeing Dauber is projected him for again this might be the kind of thing where like the low games play like he only hasn't playing 64 games but he's got 38 points in those 64 games so when i you know math it out like like being a big nerd uh comes out to that 49 point pace which really jumped out to me as like wow if adam bokefist can put up a 49 point pace that would be like a huge year for him it would be a bummer that he misses all those games but imagine he doesn't get injured and he just continues that pace that would definitely be a breakout so i'm curious to know What's the reason for this uh, high pace for Adam Bokvist? Are we thinking it's just like it's finally time? You know, I guess, I, I, isn't it Dauber who, or from that Dauber site, did you guys talk about like the fourth year breakout? Is this Bokvist's fourth year? I know that's definitely a thing people talk about. Yeah, I think he's there. And yeah, he's in fourth NHL season, although he's never played more than 52 games. I right. mean, we've had some shortened seasons, but at the same time, um, he's you know, 2019 20. Uh, that season ended up being around 70 games. He had played 41 games. 2020-21, uh, that was a 56-game season. He played 35 games. Last season was a full season. He played 52 games. So he's been well off in terms of number of games played. And Dauber has him projected at uh, to play 64 games this season. Um, he mentions in here, Boquist managed uh, just eight points in his last 29 games as he battled through yet more injuries. Upper body, 11 games, lower body, five games, and COVID, three games adds to a list that's surprisingly lengthy so early in his career. So 
Um, yeah, he, Boquist is Band-Aid Boy certified. Um, I guess he has him um, pegged for a big jump anyway, maybe because it's that fourth season or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe this is a gut feeling. Um, I don't know. We might have to come in and explain this one for us because um, I don't, otherwise I don't really know. And I might, uh, um, I don't think I'd go quite as high. I know fantasy leaguers, some of them, I, I just one or two leagues where I think there's people that are really high on Boquist as well. And that might be that high you know, being that high first round pick, he went eighth overall back in 2018. Um, and they've been waiting for that, um, that, that sort of jump, but yeah, I, right. I'm, I don't think I'm quite there yet on, on him. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, um, if he reached something close to 48 points, but I I'd still bet the under on it. Right. Yeah. I guess it's a, up to Brad Larson. I feel like it's going to play a big part. If he could start playing Bokvist as like a 20 plus minute per game defenseman, then that'll help him get, get some more points. And it's not as if Columbus is like stacked with D options, right? Like after Wierenski, they signed good Branson, which was a questionable move of, I guess they didn't realize they were going to be getting Goudreau and then all of a sudden get into some cap trouble uh, leading to them having to give away Bjorkstrand. Then yeah, you're looking at the rest of the depth chart. Like I, like, I wonder if the listeners could name even one more. Like there's Gavrikov, who's a solid, like, you know, just like defensive defenseman. I guess Jake Bean is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our patron favorites, Nick Blankenberg, because he's uh, Norm's cousin. But uh, we'll see how many minutes he can get. But yeah, if you, if you had to pick uh, who's who's someone who's going to get more minutes between Adam Bokvist or Nick Blankenberg, because <laughs> I know Blankenberg is favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's in there like Good Branson was signed to a big contract. I thought Good Branson was on his way out. And then suddenly yeah. he was signed to a I think it was a four million dollar cap hit in, in Columbus um I thought seeing him play in Vancouver he was uh you know he was going to kind of fade out but he had that really good year in uh, um Calgary last year I'd say really good but I think he sort of exceeded expectations as a as a third pairing defenseman and it just seemed like Columbus just kind of jumped all over that um which seemed it just seemed odd I mean they they Obviously, they had a great offseason with the Goudreau signing, but then it was like, um, why did you sign to Branson? Because now you have to move, uh, now you had to move Bjorkstrand. And their blue line, I don't think, is that stacked anyway, and it may be to address the blue line. But anyway, it was kind of getting away from uh, from Boquist here. But that might explain, like, there just isn't um, that depth. And that might be another reason is that blank, um, I, I should maybe take, take a look in the... Uh, the actual spreadsheet. One thing I'll mention with the with the fantasy guide is that there's a spreadsheet that includes a more projections of what you appear what appears in the PDF, and included in there should be an ice time figure for uh, um, for Boquist. And I think the re- I think another reason that might drive that increased point pace might be increased ice time. If, and you raise a good point with the uh, um, you know with the lack of depth on the Columbus blue line, and that that might be your reason right there. You give me a minute. I I can probably uh, I can see if I can find the uh, um, the ice time in here. Yeah, sure. And maybe in, in the meantime, I'm looking at the other uh, Blue Jackets projections. It's kind of like a Vancouver situation in terms of like those those top three centers. It's hard to know like who's going to center which line and like who's going to play with who. Like we've got Roslovic. Uh, Boone Jenner and Cole Sillinger and I feel like it's really hard to know who's going to be like the number one center on this team who's going to be the one to actually get those minutes with Johnny Gaudreau because that's going to be the huge like 
you know, play windfall. Uh, yeah. I guess, especially if it's like with Goudreau and Line. But I know Line and Voracek played well together. So that'll be another team where I'm really excited to find out what the lines will be. Because yeah, if it's Boone Jenner playing with Goudreau and Line or playing with like Goudreau and Voracek, like Boone Jenner could easily replicate what he did last year. But you mm-hmm. know, also, yeah, it could be like Cole Sillinger who has a huge sophomore season as only like a 19-year-old now. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be a big training camp team to watch in terms of that down the middle of the ice. Yeah, suddenly eyes are on Columbus here. <laughs> okay, how about next? Let's go to the Boston Bruins, a team, a rare team where we seem to actually have some information about how the lines will shake out, at least to start the year, because there was a tweet that we, we retweeted that Jim Montgomery was saying that at least to start the year, he's planning on keeping David Pasternak with Taylor Hall on the second line, being centered by uh, David Krejci, who's coming back from Czechia. And then that would leave Patrice Bergeron to center Jake DeBrusque and the newly acquired Pavel Zaka, who the Bruins got for Eric Haula. And Dauber is clearly excited about that, or maybe he was into it even before uh, you know this was announced, just because he's got good projections for both a DeBrusque and for a Pavel Zaka. Uh, these are guys that you know, both of them had actually some stretches last year. Like DeBrusque had a really good stretch where he was getting points in a few games in a row when he got onto the top line, but he had been quiet, you know, outside of that. And Pavel Zaka also, I remember it was earlier last season when he got on a roll with New Jersey before he kind of went quiet. Uh, but Dobbers got them both for 51 points. But once you account for the missed games played, he's got them at like a 57 point pace for Zaka, 55 point pace for DeBrusque, which would both be like big upticks over what they've done in the past i guess those aren't like crazy numbers like it's not as if we're like i'm saying like wow like such crazy projections but i'm just curious to know in general your thoughts on boston and like which of those two guys if any would you be drafting in a fantasy league because there's clearly upside there if you can have a guy playing on the top line potentially even getting a power play spot depending on how things shake out and both yeah guys that have had good runs so i feel like i'd be interested in having one of them i don't know if i'd want to have both i'm curious to get your take on who you like better yeah, I think the guy I would go go with here is probably DeBrusque, just because he's shown that he's he can be productive in the Boston system. He had that great late season run. I I picked him up as a waiver wire uh, ad um, in in a league that I won a championship in. Um, helped me out tremendously, uh, just because he was getting those top line minutes. Um, before that, he was just kind of a player that I was meh on. He made the trade request. Um, it looks like with Bruce Casty out, he's reportedly um, has rescinded this trade request and wants to stay in Boston. So that could, you know, maybe he's able to sort of pick up where he left off from last last season. Of course, um, you can't necessarily just go on what what a player demonstrated on with one quarter. Um, he seems to be. That line mates seem to play a real factor in whether he's going to have value or not. Like, so if he's stuck on the third line, um, he's really not going to be doing much for your fantasy team. But if he's if he's on that uh, on sort of that that top line or in that top six, then then I think there's something there for him. And I don't think that's unreasonable to um, to expect to to predict 51 points for DeBrusque. Uh, Zaka, I'm just kind of more, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, just because I had him in a keeper and I just kind of ran out of patience with him, but maybe maybe Boston is a situ- better situation for him. One thing that I think Zaka will have going for him is that he could be looking at top six minutes um, early in the season because Brad Marchand's going to miss the first couple months or so of the season. Uh, so they could use Zaka in the top six, maybe even on the top line. If it's true that they're going with 
Krejci centering Hall and Pasternak, you know, then maybe Zaka is elevated to that top line with Bergeron and maybe even DeBrusque. So that could be productive for, for both of them as well, uh, depending on what Bergeron has has left in the tank. If this is going to be his uh, is his final season, um, how how much is Bergeron really going to push it? So uh, I think he's still a very good player, not questioning his character in any ways, obviously. Um, obviously pro- proven that, but, um, you know, father time catches up to everybody. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but in terms of which one I, I think I would rather have, I would say probably DeBrusque. Yeah, I think I'm with you that DeBrusque seems to have a higher upside just because it seems like also he has a closer track to getting on the power play potentially with the big guns. Uh, but yeah, Zaka is interesting. Uh, Rob here is saying in the chat, he thinks Pavel Zaka will have a serious season. He has so much skill, just needs exposure. Yeah, he's a guy, again, like uh, Adam Vokvist, right? A very high pedigree guy. Back in 2015, Zaka was drafted sixth overall by the Devils. And I don't know, like obviously he didn't earn the deployment, but also he, you know, he never really got got like a lot of ice time i guess last season he was approaching 17 minutes a game which isn't so bad like i said he had, he had a good stretch he actually started the year pretty strong he had uh, 12 points his first 19 games and then started to fall off so yeah, i'm interested to see in a new situation you always wonder if like you remember dylan strome you know was a high traffic with arizona and he sort of was middling and not doing anything then he went to chicago and seemed to break out a bit not that it led to him getting a you know an exciting new contract now we'll see how he does in what is it he's not in anaheim it's he's in washington right ryan strome's in anaheim dylan strome's in washington people need to yeah. try to keep their stroms you gotta keep your stroms in check <laughs> <laughs> which strom would you draft next year in fantasy if i ask you the same question about uh ryan and dylan as i did for uh debrusque and pavel zaka oh man good question um that's a, that's a tough one because i do have dylan strom on i just took over a salary cap team and i have dylan strom on there and he's a very reasonable cap hit and I've had multiple people that reach out to try to trade for him, um, which usually suggests to me that I should hang on to him if others are trying to are trying to grab him um, and trying to give me their you know higher priced players that you know, aren't necessarily going to be as productive. Um, on the other hand, I'm not big on Strom, Ryan Strom, especially joining Anaheim. Um, I know he'll be a top six player. He's not going to have a player like Panarin on um, Anaheim unless Zagras really breaks out to that level, uh, at least not in the near term anyway. Uh, the thing I like about Strom, though, if you were to draft him, is the number of off days that Anaheim has um, that you could, at the center position, have somebody who is very productive for your, your team. Um, and this is where you kind of get into strategy and not just pure point projections, but sort of drafting those Anaheim players. If you got a late round pick, it doesn't hurt to, to use Strom, especially if you have a lot of players who tend to play on the busy nights and the Dauber's get the Dauber guide will tell you which one, which teams play on the busy nights, which ones have, tend to play, have the most light night games. And you can even bring up a report on frozen tools for that as well. If you, uh, um, if you don't want to pay for the draft guide, I'll put that little bit of information up for everyone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I use that uh, schedule tool on Frozen Tools for sure. Uh, yeah. To find, yeah, because you could like put it just for like the next few weeks, even when you're looking at a free agent, try to see like who's going to give you a lot of games uh, that will actually fit into your roster. And yeah, those Anaheim guys, it's too bad. Anaheim, I'm waiting for Anaheim to actually have like lots of really exciting players. Like I keep on wanting to tell people to draft John Gibson because of the off night games, but then he keeps on blowing it for us <laughs> and not being worth rostering for a lot of the season. So definitely disappointing sometimes. Uh, but yeah, Dylan Strom actually, Dobbers got him for, I'm seeing here, 
50 points in 70 games. He's got Ryan Strom for 57 points in 79 games. So it looks like Dauber is a, a bit of a Strom fan. I guess both of them are being slated right now to be two Cs on their team. It's just a matter of who their line mates are going to be. Well, and it's also a matter of if they're actually going to hold that position. But it seems reasonable. Like with Anaheim, you're looking at Zegers as the top line center, then Ryan Strom as the second line, because after that, who do you have? Like Lundestrom, Derek Grant. Like, but you could potentially see Ryan Strom playing with like a Mason McTavish who just had a great juniors tournament. So could work out. We'll see. And then Dylan, yeah, he could play with like, uh, well, who could it be? I guess if, if the top line gives us Ovi and Kuznetsov and I don't know, sometimes they, they throw Connor Sherry up there. I know Brian's been suggesting maybe Connor Brown, maybe TJ Oshie. That would still leave Dylan Strom with one of those guys I just mentioned that isn't on that line, maybe at Anthony Mantha. So yeah, he could have some pretty good line mates, maybe a shot at the top power play, maybe not. Uh, so yeah, some upside there for the Stroms, but I, I wasn't even planning on bringing them up. So let me go back to my uh, scheduled programming here. Uh, how about a couple players that I thought Dauber was a little low on than I would have expected. One guy that really jumped out to me is Brent Burns. Like everyone's mm. been like salivating over this guy taking over the top power play in Carolina, and I'll admit, like myself included. Uh, but yeah, maybe I need to get myself in check a little bit here because last season he was 36. He's going to be 37. But I guess the reason why people are excited is last year at age of 36 he still put up 54 points with the Sharks, and that was with you know him having to share top power play time with Eric Carlson. You know, the Sharks aren't as strong of a team as the Hurricanes. Uh, so I would have thought that Brent Burns now going to Carolina should be able to do something similar to what like a Tony D'Angelo did, who had like a 65-point pace. Uh, but Dauber has a big drop from Burns, not only like not close to what D'Angelo did with 65, not even that close to what Burns did last year, because Burns, like I said, had 54 points. Dauber has him projected for 48 points as his pace, and I guess over 82. He has Burns not missing any time, so that's useful if you draft him. But yeah, only 40 which isn't nothing but not like the upside that we've seen from what Burns has done in the past and even what D'Angelo did in a similar spot do you think this is like a situation where maybe like like kind of like what I said about Fiala like maybe we shouldn't be like 100% confident that Burns is like the top power play guy and maybe uh, Dauber's taking that into account I'm, I'm just curious to know why the decrease in points or maybe it's just what you said about Bergeron father time is gonna end up getting everyone and might be Burns's time so you have to be a bit conservative with your projection yeah, I read somebody saying that they thought Jacob Slavin would take over the top um, power play unit in Carolina, that it wasn't going to be Burns, which I'm not I'm, I'm not sold on Slavin being that that type of defenseman. I think he's I think he's better in real life than he is in fantasy. That being said, Slavin is, you know, just still a reasonably productive fantasy option, just not at the level of Brent Burns. Um, I agree with you. I think I'd go a bit higher on Burns. I would go 50 points on Burns. Um, I'm not sure I would go too much higher. Um, that being said, I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who's kind of bidding on Brent Burns in a, in a slow auction draft right now. So, um, but I also have to be careful into how, how high I go on him as well. Um, just because as you mentioned, he is 37, um, I kind of had a few years ago, I kind of had Burns and Dustin Bufflin kind of pegged as guys who were very, very high event defensemen, very, very strong in, in Roto. Um, and I was wondering about the wear and tear that it would take on their bodies with the hits, block shots, shots they were taking and, and so on, because they were, you know, big body players that were, were getting into their thirties. And we've seen what happened with Bufflin. Obviously he's, you know, he, he's out of the league of injuries, uh, pretty much he just sort of ran out ran out of gas ran out of uh 
you know, you just, just couldn't pull it together anymore for, uh, for, for a full season. I'm not going to speculate on other reasons. I think it was injuries. He just, they did, didn't have the series that Winnipeg had against Vegas in the conference finals. He just looked like he had ran out of gas. Um, and, uh, you know, I just wonder if the same is going to happen with Burns here eventually. Um, you know, he, you know, you can't say it's the same thing's going to happen for every player, but that's something that, you have to keep an eye on with uh, with, with Burns. I, I know others have had him a little bit higher than, than I have, um, but I think there's a bit of caution um, that you have to that you have to have with Burns. I don't. Um, I think I kind of have Burns sneaking into the top 100, uh, but there's um, I think there's a lot of other guy defensemen that I think I would pick over Brent Burns right now, just purely from a, a pure point standpoint. And, there, and there's a reason to get excited now that he's with Carolina. Um, it seems to be a better they're just simply a better team than than San Jose was. Um, they're not going to be pinned in their own. He's not going to be pinned in his own zone as much. Um, playing for the Hurricanes as, as he was for the Sharks. Um, but again, you just have to be careful. Maybe injuries. You got to worry about injuries, worry about injuries here. And Dauber has him as an 82 game player, too. Um, and that's, you know, and uh, okay, that's, that's he did true. Last he year. did play all 82 games last season, 56 the season before. So he's been, he's been a really durable. You know, and I could see why the 82 points here, because he's been extremely, extremely durable since about the 2014-15 season where he hasn't missed. Um, he's hardly missed any games, um, you know, and I think he's still I have to check, but he might still be in that sort of Ironman competition. The one that Phil Kessel is about to uh, um, about to pass Keith, Keith Yandel on. I'm sure somebody in the somebody listening will probably know know for sure. Um, but you just kind of wonder when that's all going to catch up to him. Um, you know, I, I think maybe to keep that Ironman streak intact, they're going to probably stick him out there with duct tape and glue if they have to, um, that he's, you know, he, he's just going to be, you know, he, he could literally be like the knight on the, on the Monty Python movie. Um, the one with no limbs and they <laughs> yeah. would still stick him out there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, potentially. Um, I, I don't know. It's just, um, could I see him missing a game this year? Absolutely. Um, the injuries, if there is a serious injury that could eventually catch up to him, that could cut into your point total as well. So, um, yeah, I had a little bit to say here about Brent Burns, but, uh, we've, it's because we've got a long track record on him. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it all makes sense. And that, that would be something actually to be concerned a bit about, right? Like if he's hurt, but doesn't miss time. Like at least if he's hurt and you could like, you know, when he misses games, then you could put him in your IR and play someone else. It's almost like worst case scenario if he's hurt, but still playing, but just not producing as well as you wanted him to. And at that point we have to speculate on the podcast. Like, is he, cause you know, the team's not going to like necessarily tell us that he's hurt. And then we're on the pod being like, what's wrong with Ben Burns? Why is he not like doing as well as he did before? Like, should people drop him? And it becomes like really challenging. So maybe that's another reason to just be conservative. Cause you don't want to have to deal with a situation where you don't know whether like, it's like Couture a couple seasons ago just totally disappeared. He must have been injured, right? Because he was like putting up like a 60 plus point pace season that all of a sudden was getting nothing. Uh, so I would hate for that to happen. But, you know, so far, like again, 54 points last year. So it's just a matter of being conservative because of his age and not because of like anything that we've seen in terms of a huge fall off. Uh, maybe going back really quickly. Actually, I, you said something that I wanted to just <laughs> dive into before I go to the next player. You said you're doing a slow auction draft. Well, can you explain like how that works? Yeah, it's a league. Um, it's a league that's been around for over a decade. Um, what it is, and often auction drafts, 
And I know they're not too many in fantasy hockey. They tend to be more in fantasy baseball and even fantasy football. I think fantasy baseball, especially where you place bids on a player and obviously winning, you know, top bidder wins the, uh, the player, but instead of it being like sort of a live draft where you have what 10 or 15 seconds to outbid someone on a player and you kind of go one player at a time and these drafts can take like three or four hours um this is one where you post it's it's on a forum you place your bid on a forum and you have 72 hours um to outbid um if you want to bid if you want to bid higher on a player otherwise if no one has outbid you for 72 hours then you win the player so this usually takes i usually give a month to um to do this i'm the commissioner i didn't originally set up the league but i took over as commissioner several years ago and um that's kind of how it works i like it because it allows me to do bits on my own time you don't have to try to gather everybody up for um you know at the, at the same time for a live auction draft there's going to be somebody that says oh, i can't make it i got to work tonight or i've got this oh, other sure. commitment and for me it's different i live on the west coast so i'm three hours behind everybody um, oftentimes people in the east on um, eastern time zone want to have you know five o'clock you know pacific and i might just be getting home from work at that time so um so yeah it's it's a bit sort of it, i like it because you can sort of make the place the bids on your own time and you can sort of carefully measure your your bids as well you're not you don't have to sort of think spontaneously <laughs> no yeah definitely i mean we're so we're running a league for keeping carlson uh the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league which registration deadline just passed but if people want to play you can still register and get on the wait list and if we can fill another division which i, I think we'll be able to fill at least one or two more so i think you'll likely get in so if you're listening to this and you want to play definitely go uh to uh, kkupfl.com cupful.com or keepingcarls.com slash patron for more information but anyways i just brought that up to say that we're doing slow drafts but not uh auction drafts just like snake drafts i was just thinking like for a slow auction if you're saying 72 hours per like are there multiple players up for bid at the same time or is it literally just like three days for each player because then it would take a lot longer than a month i would think oh yeah multiple players so there's literally i think um there's three pages worth of players so we've got i think 20 players roughly 20 players per page so we're looking about 60 players that are being oh, bid wow. on right now we've often had more i think it's been close to 100 at one time i think we've got a place we've got to get some more bids up on on players right now i think right now we're just still in the stage where a lot of the high the high end players are still being drafted on a few player maybe a handful of players have been won already but they're still the bulk of the um the big name players are still being bidded on but how do you strategize like how much to bid if you don't know if you're getting the other play you know like let's say like you want a goalie and both like vasilevsky and shesterkin are out there you like you don't you definitely don't want to bid like half your budget on both and then you're out of money like how do you how do you manage that um, well, I keep a budget. I use a spreadsheet that helps me keep track of bids, um, how much cap room I have on my team. It is a keeper league. So you start the off season with, um, players by the cap hit. It's kind of like NHL free agency where you'll have players. And when you place bids, it's not just for the player for a single season. There's a formula that can determine the number of oh, years. Wow. So you can bid a player a one, two, three, four, and even five years. And you can, um, if you give a player longer cap hit, you can uh, a legal bid would be with less um, would be would be with less money. Um, so you can kind of longer term means lower cap hit. According to there's a formula. There's a um, there's there's even like a little program that we use to enter in the number of uh, 
uh, the amount of your bit. So it gets a little bit complex there. It's hard to kind of explain everything on, on the air. It took me a while to learn the rule when I first joined, but but it is a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds cool. Like, yeah, it sounds like we need a whole separate podcast about this league format. Because yeah, I've always thought it would be cool to do this like concept of like a slow auction, but I just figured it would take too long. But I guess if there's multiple bids on multiple players at the same time, that could work. Yeah. And I start wondering about like, but how do you no but anyways yeah okay let's get back to the dauber projections and maybe we could talk about this some other time because i'm now i'm fascinated about that by the way ian how many leagues are you in like you keep bringing up these different leagues that you're in are you like a one of these people that's in like 10 different leagues and somehow being successful in all of them no no um i do um i think i'm up to four leagues now which doesn't seem like much there's others that are listening i'm sure that play in more um i think it won my highest i think at one time that i had was like seven or eight and i just felt like i wasn't giving each league enough attention um so i let a couple of those leagues just kind of uh um I don't know. I think that the ones that didn't get re I think that a couple of them didn't get renewed or something like that. And I just kind of let them fall off and I, I didn't replace them. I'm very selective. I get invited to a lot of leagues and I uh, honestly, I, I pass and there's some very good leagues out there. It has nothing to do with the, the quality of the league or anything like that. It's just um, the amount of time that I'm willing to put into it. I think you enjoy it more. I like to do more than one league, just, you know, just for some variety, but at the same time, I just, I, I can't handle a, a extremely large portfolio either. It just, um, it just, it, it would put me at a competitive disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. You got to kind of find that sweet spot for yourself. Obviously defense is going on in the rest of your life. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Who, where should we go next? I know that we got to watch the clock a little here. We were on Washington. Uh, Rob was uh, saying that we should have brought up a Connor McMichael. I guess I was listing all these different potential wingers for Dylan Strome. Yeah, uh, McMichael, Dauber has playing the full season, 37 points in 76 games. We'll see if he can break out. I actually noticed also Kuznetsov is someone Dauber's a little bit lower on than maybe I would have expected. Though, I mean, if you look at his previous seasons, it's still pretty good. But yeah, last year he had that huge... I don't know if you call it a break, I guess bounce back. You know, he was a point per game in 2021-22. And then Dauber has him falling a little bit. Like next year, he's got 66 points in 74 games for Kuznetsov, even though he's projected to be, you know, the top line center for Ovechkin. Uh, I see Ovechkin still listed at getting around 50 goals, a bit of a fall in terms of his point pace. So I guess uh, we're expecting a bit fewer assists from Ovechkin. Yeah, he paced for 90 points last year, which was really surprising this late in his career. Uh, But I guess you shouldn't be surprised by anything Ovechkin does. Anyways, I'm just wondering, do you think that this uh kuznetsov like fallback do you think that has to do more with like kuznetsov potentially not being as good as he was last year like him maybe regressing or do you think it has more to do just like ovi's getting older so being ovi's centerman needs to be regressed a little bit because probably ovechkin's not getting another 90 points which means the centerman's probably not getting point per game it could be all of that. Like the season before Kuznetsov wasn't as effective. He had a, um, before the point of game last season, he was at 29 points in 41 games. I mean, there was, um, I know Washington was having some issues with COVID that uh, that season, uh, but he was down to 0. 0.7, uh, under 60 point pace. So um, I find that when I make projections, we can't just necessarily look at last season, um, but you have to kind of go at least two seasons back. And it looked like Kuznetsov, uh, Kuznetsov didn't didn't have a great season the season before. So maybe there was, um, maybe he's kind of averaging out the two of them a little bit. Um, looking at and plus looking at the fact that Washington's talent, I, I think their scoring talent is maybe a little bit watered down this year. Um, you know, they, they've got some good players. They've, they've managed to stock some good players, but they are losing Nicholas Backstrom. Um, it looks like he's he might not play at all this year. 
um, which I think is going to Kuznetsov could play on that line with Ovechkin. It could have a very good year, um, but it's going to be very much uh, with Washington. I think um, teams are going to be very focused on trying to stop their top line as well. So um, I might put, no, I might put Kuznetsov a bit higher. I might put him at 70 points, but um, I don't think I would go too much higher than that. Yeah, again, I guess you got to be a little bit conservative. Not like for Burns was be conservative because of the age for Kuznetsov, just like he just had this huge season that he hadn't really done before. Though, you know, there's extenuating circumstances. Like now he's the for sure top line center when before Backstrom, like you said, was the competition there. So I think Kuznetsov should be fine, but I'll be interested to see how that plays out for sure in Washington. Yeah, all these wingers. Uh, okay, so I guess maybe I, I still have more players I could bring up, but I wanted to also kind of open it up a little bit before we end here, which is some thoughts from you, like anyone we've missed. Like you wrote an article last week, players that you're seeing being drafted to low on yahoo uh, which people should definitely check out over at dauber hockey in the ramblings like uh, are there any players that we haven't talked about that you see as like i don't know you could like plant your flag right now and kind of be like i either this guy's being like especially overrated or especially underrated that you know a year from now we'll be able to go back and say like oh ian called it this guy that everyone had wrong like he he nailed like yes yeah, i was curious to know do you have any player you wanted to like point out right now that you see as being especially like i said like overrated or underrated going into next season um, well, I, I'll sort of, I, I think what I might do is answer that by looking into one sort of category of type of player that you could really exploit some value for this season. I'm looking mainly at single season leagues. Um, I'm not focused so much on, on keeper leagues on, on this one, but for single season leagues, and that's uh, centers that, that have fallen. I know sometimes that um, center is the deepest position. So, you know, you don't want to end up with a player that's going to be, you don't want to be end up drafting a player high. That's going to be on your bench for a lot of games, particularly busy nights. Um, but I find that some centers that you could really exploit some value. One that jumped out at me is Mark Shifley, who at the time of the, I wrote the article in a Yahoo ADP of 135, which I just thought was just insanely low. Um, now I, I have to check and see, it may have, um, it may have increased since then, but, um, it was, there's, I, I know he had a slight downturn last season. He, he had some injuries. Um, the season just did not get off to a great start with him. He was still coming off that suspension that he had from the playoffs. It only was one game, but it just never seemed to get off on the right foot, but he still managed to score at over a point per game. We've seen more than that from Shifley before. Um, but I was saying, if you're getting a point per game player after pick 100, that's, it's, I, I don't care what position they play. That's extremely good value. Um, so I think he should be drafted in the top 100. Um, it's like, you could almost focus on other positions earlier in your draft and then come back and grab a player like Shifley, who's ranked that low. Uh, some other examples of this, I think Braden point is another one, um, that maybe he's, uh, since that amazing Stanley cup. Uh, playoff run that he had I think in Tampa's uh, first Stanley Cup with that with that core um, I think he's going to fallen off a bit he's had some injuries as well but um, he's another player that I think is being drafted outside the top 100 that I think should be within that top 100 Rupe Hintz is even another one he's moved over to center like he used to be a winger but it looks like he's moved over to center now as well because um, I seem to I'll say winger because somebody might say, well, he's always been a center. He's always played center, but he's had wing eligibility in Yahoo leagues before. Um, I'm pretty sure of that. So he's um, a point per game player. I identified him in my most recent ramblings as a very productive power play option. And if Dallas, um, if the new coach there, Peter DeBoer, 
gives them more power play time. His first unit more power play time than Rick Bonus did. Bonus kind of gave them PP one and PP two kind of um, uh, kind of even distribution. Even a little bit more hints could be up for a few more power play points as well. So um, hints had an at ADP of one thirty seven, which was um, in my opinion was too far too low. He should also be in the top 100 as well. So there's, I, I think there's a few guys that you could look at for, uh, for some value. Yeah. And I think that's a good strategy suggestion. If you're seeing that there's some good centers that are falling, then yeah, if you're earlier in your draft, I mean, obviously you're not going to pass on like a McDavid or, or a Matthews, if you have like a top two pick or maybe mm-hmm. even like a McKinnon, but like, yeah, maybe after those three guys, like, let's say you're looking at like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a high rank, like a Barkov or a Crosby, but let's say you have a winger that you see is like pretty similar to one of those guys. And yeah, maybe take the winger and then know that you'll just, you know, fill your C later on with like, yeah, Shifley or a Braden point that are falling a bit in draft so i think that's definitely a good tip for people to consider yeah at the top of your draft you don't need to necessarily rush to grab centers uh okay like let me see i have some other like sort of general questions for you is there any rookies that you're looking to you know every year it's very hard to project who's going to do something who's even going to end up like there's sometimes players that people are super high on that end up not making the league there's also sometimes players like cole caulfield last year where everyone thought he was going to be like a calder candidate then he ended up getting sent to the minors and everyone gave up on him and then by the end of the year he ended up being a superstar again and if he had you know done that all season he definitely would have had a good shot at the calder uh so yeah is there any rookie that you're looking at targeting in your draft like who's the first rookie let me put it that way that if you're drafting uh you know a one-year league next year i'm not talking about like long-term like upside for a keeper league that's a whole different conversation but you know if you were to just predict is it like i know you brought up maddie beneers before yeah curious to know like who, who's the rookie that you're looking to target yeah i'd say beneers is is one that was one that jumped off right off the top of my head um, just because he did very limited uh, games last season. Obviously, he joined the Kraken at the end of the season, but nine points in 10 games. Um, brand new rookie playing for a team that didn't have a lot of scoring, and he was able to put those numbers up. I think that's worth a, at least a, a late-round sleeper. One thing I'm going to say with rookies is in single-season leagues, I generally don't target them, uh, especially not that early. I mean, the exception is if a player like McDavid comes along, but uh, who's just generational. Uh, Sidney Crosby before that, um, you could pick them in your top 50, but um, otherwise you really don't know what you're, what you're going to get with rookies, but late in your, late in your draft, it's, it's worth, you know, taking a gamble of one. I took a few years ago when Elias Pettersson was a rookie, I took a gamble on him and um, in one of my leagues and I was able to flip him for Jack Eichel, um, in that same season. So, you know, because, um, you know, the guy I was trading with, uh, um, was big on the Canucks, even bigger than I was. So, um, you know, and that sparked a lot of debate, whether I should be trading, you know, I thought, you know, I actually had people think, oh, Pedersen is actually going to exceed Eichel, even in his rookie series. And I was like, well, well, wait a minute. Eichel's been in the league for, I think two or three seasons at that point and he was already established. So that's, uh, that's what you can sort of try to try to do, especially if you think that the rookie is, if, if their production is unsustainable, never mind if they're going to have a great career. Um, if you think their production for that season is unsustainable, then um, that's something you can try. But anyway, um, other rookies, I'll try to be a bit more prepared for this question that I was, I was asked to do a radio hit on top rookies and, I absolutely drew a blank because I don't generally target them really high. Um, I think another one that I like here just, and maybe because he plays, he's from my backyard is Kent Johnson um, of the blue jackets. Um, 
you know, obviously they're going to have their top line with Goudreau and Liney, but he's good to player who could sneak on the second line. I don't think he's going to have a huge season, but I think he's someone who could um, could have a very productive one. Um, you mentioned Mason McTavish earlier. If he uh, if he makes a Ducks, had an extremely good World Junior. Um, it'd be another player that uh, that you could also look at. Uh, Marco Rossi, I think, is going to play for the Wild this this season. I think he's going to be there full time, especially with Fiala gone. Um, I'm not so maybe even Shane Wright. I think Shane Wright. There's a good chance we could make the crack in this year and could could also be productive. He's another player that we don't want to forget about as well. Aside from that, if you're looking at players drafted this season, um, it's hard to say that there will be any others who will make the jump. I doubt Slavkovsky makes the halves. If somebody said that they think he will, but I'm I'm going to disagree, and I don't I don't think he does. But who knows? I could be proven wrong on that one. I've been wrong many times before. So, um, but yeah, there's. Uh, I think there's there's even Eklund in San Jose could theoretically be on their first power play as well. Yeah, so there's definitely a few players. And yeah, it's just a matter of you know, taking a shot on someone in your draft and then seeing hopefully quickly whether or not they're going to be someone worth holding or not. Like last year, you know, our Calder winner, Moritz Sider, a lot of people weren't drafting him. I guess maybe the most similar option there could be like an Owen Power on Buffalo, who Rob is bringing up here in the chat. So like, but of course, Sider was able to take the top power play. Power is probably still going to be behind Darlene for a little while, but you might, might get some good value, especially in a league with uh, peripherals. Uh, you might want to take a look at Owen Power. I, I could see him playing like big minutes but yeah it's always tricky actually we're gonna do a show at some point with victor nuno from the fantasy hockey life podcast where we're gonna go over some calder candidates so we'll definitely get more rookie talk okay one more question for you before i let you go we since you did write the goalie article in the uh dauber guide so you definitely know a lot about goalies and last week brian and i did a mega episode where we talked about goalies for like two hours and a half we ended up releasing our goalie tiers which was Mm -hmm. our just like idea of you know not necessarily a ranking but but just like which goalies you think are similar and then who we would like break and do a, a separate tier for. And I'm just curious to know, uh, I, I sent you the link to our, our goalie tiers. Is there anyone in our goalie tiers that you think we got like the most wrong or someone you think maybe we're too high or too low on? Hmm. Um, I think these are fairly accurate. Um, I, I would agree with you with your top tier with Shesterkin and Vasilevsky. Just, I think those two are being drafted uh, they they seem to be sort of drafted in their own category in in single season leagues. Uh, second tier, yeah, Saros is there. I say Markstrom is there. Um, I might put Hellebuck in tier three just because of the kind of season he had. I can see the argument of putting him in tier two. Uh, Thatcher Demko, as much as I like him, I might also put him in tier three. He could be a tier two goalie by the end of the season, though. Um, the one from tier three that I think I would move up to two is Frederick Anderson, um, just because he's, uh, um, just because playing for Carolina, he had a very, very good year, um, potential for a lot of wins. Um, he may not have the sparkling goals against average or save percentage, but I think he's going to get the, um, the volume of starts that, uh, that, that he needs to there. Um, he is also playing in a contract year, although contract year, a couple of seasons ago in Toronto, there, a lot of things went wrong. So I can't totally put it on that either. Um, he's a goalie. I'm just, I'm very high on, um, in my, uh, aforementioned, uh, slow auction league, I'm in a bidding war with somebody there. And if this person happens to be listening, I'm going to be continuing to bid on him. So just, uh, <laughs> Um, just, just, just back a off. warning. If you're going to outbid me for him, you're going to be paying a lot of money. So 
if this if this person is listening i just thought i'd throw that out there <laughs> um actually one goalie that i noticed you mentioned in your goalies to watch article in the dauber guide that i'm starting to get you know a little bit interested in as like a super late pick that could have some upside and i'm giving it away obviously for my uh, upcoming auction draft is that mm-hmm. eric comrie on the sabers is someone who's probably not getting drafted in most fantasy leagues but it does kind of seem like he should be the starting goalie for the Sabres. Right? Like they have Craig Anderson, who's very old and probably not meant to have a huge workload. And then they have Ukapeka Lukanen, who could easily start the season in the minors because that he's eligible to do that. And they have Comrie and Anderson. And Comrie had a decent year last year in the few games he played. And Buffalo, we just talked about like Owen Power. Like you know, they have they are an up and coming team that might not be the typical terrible Sabres of old. So I wonder if like if you're in a league where it's hard to come by goalies, you know, tr- definitely don't have Comrie as your number one in, and be depending on him for all of your success. But if you can get some other goalie and then like get Comrie late, I, I don't know. I'm interested in him. I, 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 I agree with you that everything you wrote about him here, that he could be some of the people should be watching. Yeah, he's a super deep sleeper, I think, Comrie. I don't think you're drafting him any higher than your goalie three, but he should in a 12-team league, but he could provide very good value in there in my slow auction draft he almost went for um almost the minimum salary and then the buffalo fan in the league came in and at the very last like at the last hour came in and and placed a bid on him and now he's back in um being being bid on again here so um just saying saying hey look and and the buffalo fan must know hey comrie could be our starting goalie this year in terms of one of the things that Dauber mentions in terms, if you're trying to figure out goalie situations, um, one very key area to look at is contract situation, which goalie has the highest cap hit, which goalie has the highest term and whatever goalie that is um, that's who usually the coach will commit to as the starting goalie, just because they've invested the most in that goalie. And oftentimes a quality of play may not even factor in as much as contract situation. Like one goalie would really have to play horribly and the other goalie, the less expensive goalie would have to play really well in order for that to change. You know, Florida was a good example of that when it looked, when Spencer Knight came up, um, Bobrovsky was not playing well at all. And people said, well, Spencer Knight should be the starter, but um, and I said, and last offseason, I, I held that I said, no, no, Bobrovsky's going to be the starter. He's, he's going, going to be the starter. And he was because um, because of the contract situation, because of the amount of money that they had invested in him. Um, it's not so pronounced in Buffalo. You don't have as uh, um, his cap hit isn't that much higher than Craig Anderson or Subban, but he's invested. Um, they've invested in Comrie for a bit longer. So I could see him, them giving him a, a crack at it. Um, but you never know, Craig Anderson, you never know. He's hung around this long and he could still, he didn't play terribly last, last season. And, you know, I think Buffalo has, you know, I, I as, as much as I don't think there's quite a playoff team yet in, in the East, um, I, I think they're on the way up and it could be, you know, and I'm, I'm not hundred percent committing to Comrie. I shouldn't say he's 100% going to be their starting goalie. Um, but I think he's the favorite. 
Yeah. So again, I agree with you. Like this is a number two or number three goalie on your team. But just like I'm looking at the goalie tiers and we have him way down tier seven uh, with the guys who we just have no idea if they're going to be a starter or not. Maybe I'd move him up a little bit that uh, just because I'd, I'd rather have him than like who do I have here? Aiden Hill or like uh, whoever. Uh, okay. Anyways, Ian, this has been a blast. I mean, I could keep asking you questions forever. You obviously are so knowledgeable. Uh, you've been writing all these ramblings on Dauber like since forever. So you're like just as much obsessed about fantasy as I am. Obviously, and you're also in all these leagues. Uh, I'm sure everyone really appreciates you coming on and sharing all of your knowledge. Uh, is there anything you want people to check out in particular? I guess we've already talked about most of your work. Was there any, uh, or like, how can people like keep up with everything you're up to? Um, so yeah, the fantasy guide um, mentioned that at the start of the show. But if you uh, if you haven't um, purchased yet, uh, go to the Dauber site and do do that. Um, as far as what I do over at Dauber Hockey, I write the ramblings at least two per week, usually on the weekends, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I fill in, I go also go every other Friday as well. Mike and Clifford and I usually alternate on that. Um, also do the top 100 Roto rankings as well, where I rank players from, um, where I, where I ranked it. It's only goes to 100, but it could be something that could help you in the early rounds of your draft. I try to keep up with that. So I'm, you know, really welcome to hear people's feedback. There's probably some player rankings that I haven't accounted for. Um, so, you know, by all means, if you, you know, have a look, uh, use them. If, you know, you suggest any changes, I'm I'm always open to at least um, examining that a little bit more, I guess. Um, also the managing editor. So I post a lot of the, uh, the articles as well and also recruit writers as well. So if there's any... Uh, um, you know, up and coming writers out there, anybody who wants to sort of take a crack at, at writing, um, you know, I'm usually, you know, um, we do get, uh, openings from time to time as well. Um, so yeah, just, um, a lot of the, uh, the other stuff like the collaborative articles and that we just finished up a, uh, um, oh, the writers, many of the writers just finished up a, uh, um, the Dauber uh, off-season fantasy grades article. So you can go in team by team and sort of look at um, each team from a fantasy perspective as well. So I, I wrote a few of the articles myself. I did the um, the Vancouver article, the Colorado and the Calgary articles myself and other writers did the the rest of them, but we had a really good group effort um, on, on those ones as well. I sort of, the focus, which allowed me to focus more on sort of organizing and uh, collaborate, um, facilitating. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing site. There's so many good articles. And so, yeah, people should definitely check it out yeah. at DauberHockey.com. And your work is great. I always get excited when I see that you've written the ramblings. Uh, I forgot to mention, again, at the top of the show, uh, I said that we're doing a giveaway. So for those of you who want to have a chance at a free Dauber guide, I thought of a hashtag. Okay, th- so this is what you got to do. to end, enter. I'm, I'm kind of flying off the seat of my pants a little bit. But like Ian was talking about how there's some good C that are falling in drafts that you may be able to get a good value like a Shifley or a Braden Point. So how about uh, don't... <laughs> okay, this is really terrible. Okay, don't you forget about C. Get it? It's like a wordplay for that famous song. So so if you tweeted us mm. with that hashtag... I know that one. <laughs> it was a Canucks goal song last year. Oh, it was? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. there you go. So you're, you're a, a Canucks kind of. fan, I, I can tell. How do you think the Canucks are going to do this year, by the way? Um... Kind of on the fence, um, guardedly optimistic that they'll make the playoffs. I think they will, but um, but you're kind of in that. I, I think 
more accurate to say they'll be in the bubble of teams that will be competing for a playoff spot. Yeah. Are you excited about this uh, Kuzmenko guy that they brought in from the KHL? Do you think he's going to do something? Dauber doesn't have him. He only has him 29 points in 72 games. Do you think he could do better? Yeah. It's hard to to project a player like that just simply because with the KHL, you never know. Um, You could be, you know, I won't say he'll be the next Panarin, but they've been able to, um, you know, Panarin has come from there. Um, But then, you know, you have a guy like Shipachayov who just kind of faded out very quickly in the NHL. So you never know what, what he's going to be. Um, the double-edged sword for the Canucks is if he has a very good season, then they're probably not going to be able to afford to keep him. Um, and he'll probably go off the free agency and play for somebody else's team, just because the Canucks are so tight against the cap. Um, but, uh, I, I think I might go a bit higher. I might go close to 40 points on him. Um, but that again, that could be just me being a bit too optimistic. <laughs> okay, who who would you draft first? I know I'm just keeping you now. <laughs> Kuzmenko, no, or, fine. Kuzmenko or Mikhaev as as a new Canuck on the team? Who do you think is going to get more points? Um, I think I'm going to go Mikhaev just because he's more more of a known quantity. I didn't say a known quantity necessarily, but uh, we've been able to see that he is capable of something in Toronto. We never really got those first line minutes there, but he was very productive in the role that he was in. Um, he's had a couple of injuries, of course, uh, that's been a problem, but, um, I think as in terms of their top nine, it's, it's a very good signing for the Canucks. Um, even if they, even if their cap situation is, is a little bit tight, um, you know, he could turn out to be a very good player. Yeah, they're definitely an interesting team. I guess it's mostly the defense that's the the question mark for this team. And hopefully just Thatcher Demko could stand on his head so they don't even need necessarily to have such great defense. You don't necessarily want it to pay yeah, on that. I think that's the plan. Okay, so what was I saying here? Yeah, so if you tweet at Keeping Carlson, include Ian in there. What was your What's your Twitter again, Ian? Um, it's Ian underscore Gooding, uh, spelled out I-A-N underscore G-O-O-D-I-N-G. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like your friend's phone numbers at this point. Like we we already follow you on Twitter, and so like I don't need to like memorize your Twitter handles. I just see your tweets all the time. So yeah, it's sort of like having your friend on your phone. But yeah, definitely follow Ian. Tag me. Tag at Keeping Carlson. Tag Ian. Hashtag Don't You Forget About C, and you'll be entered into a giveaway, which I guess we'll do in let's say a week from now to get a free Dauber guide. But you know what? If you if you don't win the guide, I would definitely just buy it because it's not that much money and it's like super valuable, as you've heard, uh, so much more than what we've discussed on this show. So thanks so much again ian for coming on thanks so much everyone for listening uh like i said it's not too late to join the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league and also support our podcast you go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron you can find more information about that uh but yeah let's cue the outro music and normally brian would read some credits here uh but i don't have that available at the moment so yeah just once again hope everyone enjoyed the show and we'll see you with more content in the next week as we ramp up to finally getting into our drafts and then starting the NHL season. I'm so excited. And yeah, thanks again, everyone. Have a great night. Until next time, just remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone. 